Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Longview Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, recording on Wednesday night, a night after the Grizzlies tied the series at 1-1 with the Golden State Warriors in the second round of the playoffs uh, after the heroics of uh, John Morant scoring the final 15 points uh, of that game and finishing with 47 points, tying his own franchise record for single-game scoring in a playoff game. Just remarkable stuff. I continue to be uh, amazed by him and his talent and just, you know, how high he can go. But we'll, we'll touch on that a bit. But um, ways to get in touch with the podcast. So the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network is the podcast network for SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues blog. You can find it on anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcast. There you'll have GBB Live with Joe Mullinax, the 3ND Podcast with Ben Hogan, the Long View with myself, and then you'll also have the Starting 5 Podcast. Make sure you check those out. Make sure you are also checking out the blog on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies or on the web at grizzlybearblues.com. And real quick, before I uh, introduce my guest, I want to uh, promote something that uh, means a lot to me. It means a lot to uh, people I love uh, as well. Courage Through Cancer is hosting a 5K at Shelby Farms on Saturday, May 21st to benefit the Allies Allies fundraising group for St. Jude and the Links for Lungs group that supports West Clinic. Uh, Courage of Cancer is a uh, 501c3 nonprofit. It, it's just kind of a community that, you know, honors people whose lives have been touched with cancer and just, I mean, it's in the name that people that have displayed courage through their battles with cancers. Um, obviously, if you've uh, listened enough or you follow me on Twitter or any form of social media, you know that my fiance has been battling cancer for nine years. Uh, she's been a St. Jude patient since then, and um, just, just, just like her, there's a lot of phenomenal people a part of this group, and all this money goes towards a great cause. Um, I would love to. I'll have a sign up link with with this podcast. I would love for y'all to sign up. Um, I'll be there, so I don't know if that's much of an incentive, but um, I, I just this means a lot to me, and I just want to let my listeners know about that. So yeah, make sure y'all sign up. I'll post a link with the podcast, but now let me introduce my guest. He is a Grizzly Bear Blues senior staff writer. He is also a co-host on the Lot Don Grizzlies podcast. It is the green room guru, the stats God, Sean Coleman. Sean, how are you doing today, Man, sir? I like stats, God. I, I like I like the Sultan of Stats. I got to work on that. One. How about whoa, the whoa, Tribal whoa. Chief of Stats? I don't know about that. I I'll, I'll find a, I'll find something with alliteration. I had Locker Room Legend. I had Green Room Guru. I'll find something with stats. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Stats Shaman. The Stats Shaman. I like that Man. because yeah. uh, we'll work on it. It's a working title. But Sean, how are you doing? This evening. I'm doing all right. Uh, I'm going to echo this as well. Um, this is not just because I consider him a friend and one of the best minds when it comes to the Grizzlies, but uh, anything that Parker backs, 
um, he truly believes in. He has good reason to. Parker is phenomenal. Allie is phenomenal. So I will give my full-fledged support to any campaign Parker is behind. So please support anything that he promotes on his podcast. I will try my best to. Parker, always a pleasure to be with you, sir. Always, always a pleasure to talk Grizzlies basketball with you, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also too, one more thing on, on the 5k, if you don't like running, that's okay. You know, there's a donation link in there too. If you need an incentive to run, I have sources tell me that there might be mimosas there. So that that's a good enough incentive to, you know, maybe uh, run a 5k reward yourself there, but yeah, I, I'll post more about that. But Sean, uh, hey, Parker, one, one quick question. Instead of the 5k, can you run a five yard out and catch a football to drink a mimosa? That's a good question. Uh, I'll let you get back to me on the answer. Go ahead. Sir. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt. It, it's all good. But Sean, you know, game two last night was a thrill. Um, just what? What are just? Is there anything left to say about John Morant and just how brilliant of a talent he is? Absolutely not. There's, there's, there's not anything left to say. Um, I mean, I, I go back to it. it it's a. Uh, um, he's him. Like, I, I, I don't know. The, I don't know if there's a better way of putting it. And um, I mean, I just being candid, the season was on the line in that fourth quarter. The Grizzlies had played better and the Grizzlies played better for a good portion of game one. We easily could be up 2-0 right now, but, you know, we easily could be down 2-0, you know, whatever way you want to look at it. But my point is, is that with the season on the line, John Morant, who many have for some reason criticized because of, you know, some struggles that, you know, were there for obvious reasons in the first round, the man's come out and put up 81 points in rounds one and games one and two. I'm not sure much more what you can expect from him. I'm just here to enjoy the hell out of it. And thank God that we've got him as a Grizzly. So no, there's not much else to say. And you, so that sentiment, the thank God we have, and that is one that, uh, Brandon Clark and Zaire Williams have both echoed in post-game press conferences. Absolutely. I like how Zaire last night, he was like, man, I would hate to guard him. Like that, I, I think that was um, uh, a good a good little uh, comment there. Um, one, one thing I will add on that with John Moran, I think one of the things just take away from that is, you know, Sean, people, teams dare John Moran to shoot the basketball. You know, they – and I'm not going to pretend like he's – in respect of competition, I'm not going to pretend that he's no like Dame Lillard, Trey Young kind of guy, but uh, he he can shoot to an extent, and he's shown the past two games that if you're going to go under screens, he's going to shoot, and he might find the bottom of the net. I mean, over the past two games, he shot four of 11 in game one, and then he shot five of 12 in game two. So just Sean, what do you make of that? Because I mean, last night, Ja, you know, he, he had 18 points in the paint, five threes, and was 12 of 13 from the line. This is probably his most well-rounded scoring performance, isn't it? Absolutely. And uh, to an extent, I believe so. I think that it was a bit more balanced in the 52-point outburst in last year's 47 point outburst. But let's go ahead and put it in more perspective. Let's throw in the play in game from last year with games one and two this year. John Morant is averaging now, I want to say, 35 points per game. Eh, eh, no, 30, 37, 38. 
It took over 35 points per game the last three times he's played Golden State. And he's put them out of the playoff picture in one of those games. And he's come back in the fourth quarter, had probably the best fourth quarter performance we've seen so far in this year's playoffs to tie the second round of the Western Conference playoffs. The point that I'm getting at is, is that I understand the general idea of wanting to go under screens and make him shoot, but he's burning Golden State consistently. And for unfortunate reasons, Golden State has lost their best answer to try to contain him, though Gary Payton Jr. wasn't doing that well to begin with, or Gary Payton II wasn't doing that well to begin with. But my point is, Jaw's overall offensive balance showing up on this stage if I'm the Warriors, I'm saying, okay, whatever we're doing is not working. I don't know if we have anything that can work. Yeah, I totally understand. It's going to be interesting to see how they try to combat that in game two uh, because there isn't really much many weapons for them to you know put on them with the Warriors. Play on Toscano Anderson for 30 minutes. <laughs> wow. That, that's, that you know – I think they should play Moses Moody. I think they should put Moses Moody on him for 30 minutes. I think that's the that's the ticket right there. But gosh, um, gosh, no. Just 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 put Jordan Poole on him and, and just let Poole get scorched. We'll be yeah. fine. Yes. Poole might score 30, but he's gonna give up 40. So, anyways, um and his so, knees and ankles may not survive game three. That was dirty. That was dirty. But let, let, I want to move on to something. And you know, this is the long view podcast. And I don't think there's any Aside from John Morant, a long view takeaway then to look at the game of Zaire Williams in game two. Because, I mean, just think about this, Sean. Draft night, we were told by Zach Kleiman, the, the team's uh, executive vice president of basketball operations, that this, is, this requires patience. He's going to be a multi-year project. And the Grizzlies' multi-year project in year one is closing playoff games in the second round, and this isn't garbage time either. This is crunch time. And, granted, I'm not going to act like he was just, like, the destroyer of worlds out there. There was times where he looked like a rookie. There was that miscommunication on the switch that led to probably the most open three Steph Curry has ever taken in a playoff game. Um, You know, just different defensive assignments where um, he kind of, you know, looked the part of a rookie. But, I mean, the Warriors also have a very advanced offense. You know, I think t- the Timberwolves have a really good offense, but there's this, c- this comparison I made in a recent article that if you were to compare them in, like, math classes, like, the Timberwolves offense is probably, like, algebra two, and the Warriors offense is, like, a AP calculus class. Like, their offense is really good. Lots of ball movement, lots of off-ball movement. And they have a lot of weapons. But all in all, Zaire Williams came up big, hit some big shots, hit four threes. Just Sean, I know it's something you wanted to talk about. I like asking my guests what they want to talk about. So what what do you take out of Zaire Williams' game two performance? First off, I want to thank you for bringing up calculus, a a subject that I struggled mildly with my (laughs) junior year in high school. You didn't have to do that, Parker, but thanks for the bad memories. Um, You said the destroyer of worlds. And the thing that I will say is this. The best part about it is, is that Zaire Williams didn't play like he thought that he needed to be the destroyer of worlds. 
he played like he thought that he needed to be Zaire Williams. And I don't mean that to be cliche. I don't mean for that to be a cop-out answer. It was amazing to see Zaire Williams step into the role that he needed to step into and deliver as a complimentary role player that the Grizzlies could feature on defense without being too much of a liability and someone that could support finding soft spots in the Warriors' defense and making those shots. Last night, Zaire William was a 3-and-D role player, and that's exactly what the Grizzlies need from a player who could play the three, and as Taylor Jenkins said in the postgame, even played a little bit of the four, though he hadn't played that much this year. A versatile front court player that can help on both ends of the court in multiple ways. That's exactly what Zaire Williams was. And to your point, while it is a multi-year project to, for him to really have a defined role on this team, the fact that in a moment's notice, he can feel the exact role this team needs and do well within that role is so exciting moving forward. Yeah, for sure. And I I do one thing that I kind of want to um, go back to on the, on your point is somebody needed to step up last night. I mean, after that first half, I want to say John Morant and Jaron Jackson, they combined for about like somewhere around like 35 points of the Grizzlies, 55 points in that first half uh, with Dylan Brooks ejected, uh, Desmond Bain looking limited with his back soreness. I mean, shout out to him for playing through it and still putting his body on the line taking charges, diving for loose balls. I mean, that that dude has the heart of a – I'm not going to say a warrior like how it typically is, but the heart of a uh, a guardian, like the guardian of the galaxies. Like he's just – Heart he's, of a champion. Heart Give of it a month. champion. Heart or, of a champion. Give it a month, Parker. Oh, yeah, heart of a champion in a month, yes. But the Grizzlies needed somebody to step up, and in particular they needed some perimeter firepower, and Zaire Williams provided that. Uh, he hit four threes. Um, he was crashing the offensive class, including one uh, put-back dunk. And he's just kind of filled a role that was needed. I mean, obviously, he can thrive in a way where it doesn't take away from John Morant or Jaron Jackson Jr. In fact, how Zaire Williams thri like thrives, it only enhances the strengths of John Morant. Because his defense is collapsed, that's another shooter to go out to. And granted, he's a rookie, and by his 32% from the field or from three in the regular season, he has ups and downs. He's a rookie that's understandable. But the fact that he came up big in a moment where the team really needed him, with arguably, like what you said, the season on the line, it's just great stuff that you want to see from your rookie because as a young team, you got to use this time to evaluate who are those 16 game guys. And the Grizzlies are hoping that Zaire Williams is one of those guys. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head as you do 10, 15% of the time. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, no. As usual, you bring up a great point. The point, though, to be made is, and I talked about it with y'all, you know. Grizzly Bear Blue Slack talked about it on you know podcast, talk about it um, on Twitter. This was evaluation time. Like I know that that may not be something that you know a lot of people may think of this time being because the Grizzlies are going after a title as they should. But for as young as the Grizzlies are, 
this is the first of what we're hoping are many opportunities to win a title. And so you still always have that evaluation part going on when you are such a young Grizzlies team. To your point, what you're evaluating right now is who are those 16-game guys in the postseason? Coming into this, we knew Ja, Jaron, and Bain were going to be a huge part of it. What role does Dylan play? What role does Brendan Clark play? What role does Kyle and Tyus play with their upcoming summers? What role does Melton play, even though he's signed for two more years after this year? Is he a trade piece? Is he someone that can support? What about Steven Adams? What about Zaire Williams? And the thing that I will say is this, is that if Zaire Williams steps up and stands out, he's got the extra caveat, caveat to be in this. This front office traded up to land him in the 2022 draft. Now, it may not have been exactly him. It may have been that he was the last of a group of the type of player that this team wanted. But my point is, there's a bit more invested in Zaire Williams than there are some of these other players in terms of how the Grizzlies put a preference on getting him. And so what becomes the narrative here is that if Zaire steps up in game three when Dylan's suspended, plays well, the Grizzlies win. They know that Zaire Williams can be a very good complementary piece to Jod, Jaron, and Bain, and it's going to find, be hard to find anybody on this roster currently that has the ceiling Zaire could eventually get to. And so what does that mean? That means that the preference of Zaire becoming a big part of the rotation, it only goes up. And that also impacts not only him moving forward, but also some interesting decisions when it comes to investing into other players long-term as well. For sure. Absolutely. And the, the thing with Zaire Williams is just so interesting with him. You've touched on his ceiling is that he's showing now that his floor isn't as low as people had thought coming into the draft. And I got to be honest, I was guilty of that. I, I overthought it. I originally had him as like a late lotto guy and I fell in love with guys that were in the 17 range and just ended up sliding Zaire down because of that variance between a ceiling and his floor. But at the same time, I mean, and this is a lot of credit to the coaching staff and the development program here to get Zaire to where he is right now. But a lot of it also has to go with Zaire too, because I mean, from what it sounds like, he's just been, a savant when it comes to film and identifying where he could improve and what spots he needs to be in and stuff like that. But I think the thing that catches my eyes so much with Zaire Williams is in whatever path he goes down as far as what type of offensive player he's going to be. If he's just that guy, that's a three and D guy where most of his shots are going to be, catch and shoot threes, cutting, transition opportunities, that's perfectly fine for this iteration of the Grizzlies. In fact, they can still be contenders with that kind of guy complimenting John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain. But if he ends up adding that shot creation that we've seen flashes of here and there throughout the course of the season where he's hitting shots in the mid-range off the dribble or – He's expanding that out to pull up threes. You're talking about an entirely different ball player. And I think that's what's so intriguing is that no matter which path of those two he decides to go down, he could still be an impactful player in moments like this. And so let's go down another fun path because what you just mentioned exactly opens up 
a fun conversation that I know this may not necessarily be time for, but it is a point to bring it up because I really, really think that it's going to be fun to watch this occur. And what that simply is, is this. Last year, we were running into the same type of conversation when it came to Grayson Allen, Desmond Bain, and DeAnthony Melton. You've got too many players for too few minutes. What are you going to do to let the guys you want to invest in break out? Well, now it's time to have a tougher conversation. That's the result of a team that has ascended into the NBA's elite. Don't do it. Don't if do Zaire it. Williams, if Zaire Williams performs well, don't do it. In the absence of another island namesake. And that island namesake is going into what will be an expiring contract year. Don't do it. What's the conversation going to be like then? I'm ready to have that conversation. Now, I won't get too far into say, it. Say his name. Oh, say Dylan Brooks. Oh, we're talking You're going to come on my podcast. Yeah, oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. I'm rate it in this podcast. form. I'm going to come oh, on what? your podcast. I'm going to come on your podcast and, and ask this tough question. If Zaire, we, if Zaire Williams is performing like he does and keeps performing like he does in the playoffs. What becomes of Dylan Brooks's long-term future with the Memphis Grizzlies after this summer? That's a conversation that I'm willing to have, and I'm going to be honest with you. It was a conversation they were willing to have last year, and look what happened with Desmond Bain. The Grizzlies made their decision on that conversation last year. It worked out better than anyone expected. Are we ready to have the same t- conversation on a higher level this summer. Zaire Williams has a good playoffs. It's time to have that conversation. I, I'm at a loss for words that you come on my podcast. And as a tribal chief of Dylan Brooks Island, you suggest this on my podcast, but you know what? I gotta be honest. You know, I've, I've kind of braced myself for that moment, especially since, you know, you had, I know uh, Jake Fisher, Bleacher Report came on fast break breakfast and talked about how the Grizzlies were trying to, or are close to moving Dylan Brooks in order to move up to the 13th pick. I don't know if it was to move up to the 13th pick or to acquire the 13th pick, but it was talks that were had. Um, and, you know, you have because of guys like Zaire Williams, or maybe the fact that they went 56 and 26 and still had a top, what top, six top seven defense without Dylan Brooks. It does with, with him only in 30 games, that conversation becomes a lot more interesting. I'm not going to elaborate on it any further. That's obviously something that's going to be talked about a lot this summer, uh, especially since, you know, for those points that you bring up the expiring contract, the willingness to want to put Zion Williams in the folks. I mean, the Grizzlies were, I don't have the record on me, but I mean, they had a winning percentage of at least 60% or so with Zaire Williams in the starting lineup. And he looked in place. It With Zaire, it's just all going to come down to his growth of his growth as a defender. Uh, one thing I think that's very intriguing with his game is uh, the range of perimeter players that he can guard. He can guard threes. He's shown that he can guard point guards like Steph Curry. And I think, you know, having him as a guy that's kind of a ball hawk on 
these point guards as a 6'9", 6'10", wing with a, with a long wingspan. Certainly enticing, but it's just how it all, how those those traits and that potential, how it just all comes together to where it's no, no longer like, oh, he has the potential to be a really good defender. It's becoming, oh, he is a really good defender. He is a guy that you could put on the the Steph Curry's, the Luka Doncic's, the uh, Brandon Ingram's, the Devin Booker's of the world. That's where I'm very interested to see, and I think that's where the conversations start to form. If he could become that guy, it becomes a lot more interesting. A tough pill to swallow, but it becomes a lot more interesting. Yeah, and 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 this isn't the time or place to really get dive into that. You know, Parker, you know, you're one of my favorite people to talk to when it comes to sports in general on the Grizzlies. You know that. But the reason I still bring it up is because right now is the opportunity. Right now is the most relevant opportunity for that to become a conversation. You hope it becomes a conversation because you it means that Zaire Williams is maturing into a reliable player in the playoffs where you need that type of player the most. And I'll put it to you like this. The best version of this current iteration of the Grizzlies is Dylan Brooks starting and playing 25 to 30 minutes. I will say with confidence that if he is suspended for games three or four, there is going to be a stretch in San Francisco where the Grizzlies are going to really need Dylan Brooks and he may not be there. But beyond all that, Dylan Brooks being available, that allows for this current version of the Grizzlies to be the best version of themselves. Does that become the same question when you've got to start paying your best players and Zaire matures. That's a question for another time, but I'm hoping that Zaire's play this summer makes it a question that the Grizzlies have to face at some point in time because that means his development is ahead of schedule. That's very true. That's a very good point. And, you know, um, yeah, I must add that the Grizzlies do need Dylan Brooks. Um, I'm actually, by the time this records, I will have something up on Grizzly Bear Blues about this. They might have won a Dylan a game without Dylan Brooks, but they're not going to win a playoff series without him. You need him for what he provides as a uh, individual defender, um, as a shot creator in the right capacity. He he's a and also too just his infectious energy. I mean, a lot of the times the Grizzlies have described him as the head of the snake for this team, their spirit leader. He's a guy that you want. You, he's a guy that you want in the trenches. I'm not going to elaborate any further. Sean, is there anything else that you want to add on Zaire Williams um, before we move on here? Yeah. Uh, the maturity is something that continues to show out. Um, that is something that John Morant talked about earlier this week. The intelligence that Zaire talks with and that he displays on the court, the sponge that you talked about him being, that's why I think he's been prepared for this opportunity. That's something that stands out to his teammates and those that work with him. And at such a young age, it's great to see. But the other thing that I'll say is this, is that at the end of the day, a healthy Zaire, a healthy Dylan, what it continues to allow for the Grizzlies to be able to do, and I think that this will become an even bigger asset or a bigger thing you need to have an asset is Zaire and Dylan along with Kyle Anderson, DeAnthony Melton, Desmond Bain. This is a group of guys that you can throw at a Steph, at a Clay, at a Poole, at a Wiggins, at others on the Warriors that can keep their best shooters uncomfortable because you can throw 
different prototypes at them that makes them not be able to adjust as quickly. That ability to throw different bodies that you trust to defend the perimeter players of the Warriors, that's going to be a huge boost. So I know that we're talking about future decisions. Right now, the conversation centers on everybody being healthy and the Grizzlies having the ability to use their depth to make key adjustments and lineup changes that can win them another game or two in this. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. And uh, one, one thing I want to bring up before we end up giving closing the show with Oakland predictions is uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. Obviously, he exploded in game one at, I want to say it was 33 points, hit six of his eight three-pointers, and just he looks – or six of his nine three-pointers, excuse me. He had ten rebounds. He was just a killer out there. Obviously, they didn't win, but all good. Uh, struggled a little bit game two. Shot three of 14 from the field. Uh, only had 12 points, seven rebounds. He had, he had foul trouble, six fouls in under 30 minutes. Um, just there. this is the deal with Jaron Jackson at this stage of his career. I mean, right now I'm looking. He's fouled out in three of the eight playoff games because he's played in. He's had five fouls in three of the eight games they played in. So he's only had two games with five or two games with fewer than five fouls. But as he showed in game one, when he is in a rhythm and he's playing with freedom, he's one hell of a talent. I mean, the shooting, the defense, I mean, the overall impact that he makes on the floor when, when he's allowed to kind of play within himself, play with a rhythm, play with flow. It's some really cool stuff. We really started to see a lot of the vision with a John Morant, Jaron Jackson future. Um, Sean, how, how important, or I guess not how important is it, but just the, the difference that it makes for Jaron Jackson and the Grizzlies when he is available and in a flow or even just like semi-available, but in that foul trouble flow, just what does that bode for the Grizzlies' chances going forward in this series and also in just going forward in this postseason outlook and their quest to win a championship? I mean, hey, they're 11, game, they're 11 wins away from a championship. So what what is it with Jaron Jackson Jr. where this paradox of sorts uh, kind of lingers? They need for him to be their second best player. They absolutely do. They need for that to be defined because at the end of the day, you've got your most valuable player in John Morant. Who's the most valuable balance to him? Is, is, it, is it his complimentary piece in Desmond Bain that does so well as making one of the best backcourts in the NBA? Or is it the two-way big that anchors your defense and can be there to be a nice compliment when teams focus too much on jaw? I think it's Jaren. Because his impact on both ends of the court are unquestionable. I think that if Jaron Jackson Jr. is playing like the Grizzlies' best or second best player, that means that they're playing effective basketball on both ends of the court. They're playing balanced basketball on both ends of the court. You know you're going to get it on defense. You hope you get it on offense. And as we've seen in game two against the Timberwolves, as we saw in game one, you see the true impact that he makes. If Jaron consistently does that, 
He's our second best player, and he's the type of talent that absolutely can swing a series if he can stay consistent, which obviously means he stays on the floor. Absolutely. You know, at the, before the playoffs started, I had actually said that Jaron Jackson Jr. is the X factor for this team and maybe one of the biggest X factors in the entire postseason because, you know, I, I've looked over the past couple of years, a narrative that's been common with these teams that have gone to the finals, not necessarily win the finals, but have gone to the finals is a leap from their young big man. Uh, Pascal Siakam in 2019 with Toronto, Bam Adebayo with the Miami Heat in 2020, last year with DeAndre Ayton. And this was a perfect opportunity to show that Jaron Jackson's that next guy that's going to step up. Mm -hmm. A guy that's going to step up and really swing the postseason in the Grizzlies' favor towards uh, going to the finals and maybe winning a championship. And he, you know, he's been up and down this postseason. Uh, but in game one, he showed why he can be that talent. And that game was just a perfect example to the people that are in my mentions or saying, why is Jaron shooting threes? That's why Jaron's shooting threes, because he's he's good at shooting threes. He's that type of talent that can actually get going in a flurry. I mean, the only players on the team that could do that, I mean, Dez, uh, D'Anthony Melton, Dylan Brooks at times, those are really the only guys capable of getting hot from three like that. And when you have that from your big man, and he's the only big man that actually spaces the floor, that opens up a lot more. And like you said, when you combine that with his, like when you combine that with just how transcendent his defense has been with his rim protection, his switch ability, his ability to one possession switch on to Steph Curry in the next possession, he's taking on Clay Thompson as his primary assignment or the next possession uh, anchoring a drop to uh, swat a shot at the rim. There's not many guys of that kind of skill set, but for him, obviously it just comes down to staying on the floor. So, yeah. yeah. And I was going to say, you're never going to hear me at least because I can only speak for myself, you're never going to hear me complain about Jaron Jackson Jr. shooting threes. And the reason why is because that's pursuing him being the best version of himself, or at the very least, it's making it to where the defense has to honor that just enough to where Jaron can be effective by taking them off the dribble and finding high percentage looks near the rim. So you're never going to hear me complain about Jaron Jackson Jr. shooting threes because it's simply him doing what he can to play the best version of himself, and it shows that he has confidence that he can play like the best version of himself. So shoot him away. At the end of the day, shoot him away. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let that fly. And I'm going to keep that clean. But, uh, Sean, uh, we'll, we'll get out on this. So the Grizzlies are going into Oakland. It's tied – or not in Oakland. I'm just used to saying Oakland because of the Oracle days. Shout out, Oracle. But um, I – so they're going into San Francisco. They're down – or they're tied 1-1. Um, what, what's your, what's your opinion on what happens in San Francisco? Any, I, what, how do you think the split's going to go with the games? How about this? Say if it goes 2-0 Grizzlies, 1-1 or, uh, 2-0 Warriors, and then give a bold prediction for, uh, any of the games. Yeah. So I'm going to go 1-1 Grizzlies and Warriors. They're going to split. 
And I truly do think that DeAnthony Melton and Jaron are going to make the difference in one of those two games. Just like they did in the fourth game of the season in Oakland, I think that combo is going to make a difference in one of those two games. It almost did in game one. It almost was a huge narrative of game one. I think they do it to split the series. And I will also say this. If Dylan is suspended game three, I think he comes back in game four, scores at least 15 points and makes a couple of big defensive possessions in game four. I won't go as far as saying I'm guaranteeing a win games three or four. I think Dylan plays a significant role in the game that follows him being back after his likely suspension. That's right. Yeah, I have a split 1-1. I think we'll see a uh, vintage Dylan Brooks game. Uh, Actually, I think that's the wrong thing to say. A a vintage Dylan Brooks game. Excuse me. And I think that... um, I think we see Desmond Bain return to form. And I'm going to manifest this once more. I think Brandon Clark will dunk on Draymond Green so hard that Draymond has to do in another emergency podcast to explain himself. I agree with you 110%. And if we're talking about Dylan Brooks playing well, you know, he hasn't played much this year. At some point, he's got to audition his trade value for other teams, right? Who's this? Dylan Brooks. Hey, man. All right. We're, I was actually going to give you a compliment on something. I was going to give you – actually, a Tennessee Vols compliment, actually. <laughs> but you know what? I'll save it. I'll save it. I, I was – I was going to allow Grant Williams praise on the podcast, but never mind. Absolutely. Never mind. I was going to call you the Grant Williams of stats, but um, you just, you once again, just raid my podcast with this blasphemy, this BS. I won't stand for it, Sean, but ah, you're still a good guy. Well, all right. uh, So so we're saying one, 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 one. And you're saying, Dylan Brooks has a great game. I'm saying that Jaron or DeAnthony have a good game and they mm-hmm. make a difference. I will also say this. If we split 1-1, mm-hmm. I am highly confident that we win this series. If we split 1-1 or like do better. That. I like that. I'm, I'm highly confident that we, can, that we will win this series. And I know that's obvious to say, but if the Grizzlies can clear that hurdle, I really do think they're highly confident they can win two out of the next three. I agree. That's what home court advantage is all about. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I'm there with you. You know, when it comes to season prediction or the series predictions, I always say, let me know what happens in San Francisco because if the Warriors win both games, I think it's gonna be Warriors in six. But if the Grizzlies end up stealing one again in San Francisco to get to to regain home court advantage, I think it's going to be a coin flip for seven, uh, but I, I would lean Grizzlies because I, I think they're just, I, I think they're the better team right now. Um, I don't think Clay Thompson or Draymond Green look like themselves right now. Um, I think they're showing their age a little bit, and I don't think there's anybody that can stop John Morant right now. He's the best player in this series, and I'm going to be completely honest with on that front, but, Agreed. 
I, and now I'm sure that the Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network ratings are going to go to the toilet being rated by Warriors fans. Um, what's up? Oh, I was just saying they can rate all they want. You know, they, they you know, the, the thing about it is, though, it may take them a while because they're still living four years in the past. So it, let them take all the time that they want to. Yeah, right it's, it's absolutely crazy for a for a fan base that always talks about light years and they just stay in uh, four years uh, removed from themselves. But hey, it's all good. And you know what, my Grizzly listeners, you're gonna have to counter those Warriors one star reviews for the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network with five star reviews. Great reviews. Actually, leave some comments, compliment all you want. Hell, you can even leave criticism if you want. I don't care. Like, I actually, I just really appreciate that y'all listen in the first place. But yeah, Sean, do you have anything else to add before we close? Yeah, just want to remind the Grizzlies fans that if any Warriors fans want to brag about playoff experience, just remind them the Grizzlies are the team that's in the playoffs for the second straight year in a row because they beat the Warriors. And they did it again in game two. That's all. Parker, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Sean, it is always a pleasure talking Grizz hoops with you. Um, Make sure you all follow him over on his Twitter at StatsSAC. Literally one of the best Grizzlies slash basketball slash Braves slash ball slash Titans Twitter accounts that you can follow. He does it all. And some of the stuff that he finds, uh, the stats and stuff, is just truly remarkable. He does awesome stuff. And his work is just phenomenal. And when it comes to Sean as a person, he is equally as phenomenal. So make sure y'all follow him at StatsSAC. Make sure y'all are listening to the Lockdown Grizzlies podcast with him and DeMichael Cole. Um, wherever you get your podcast, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Make sure you are reading all of our work over at grizzlybearblues.com. Follow us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. And make sure you are checking out the podcast network where you can get every single episode of GBB Live, the Long View, 3ND, and Starting 5 podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. And make sure... You sign up for the Courage to Cancer 5K on Saturday, May 21st at Shelby Farms Park. That's it. 